Hello, friends, and welcome to the Diabetes Pro Tip Series from the Juice Box Podcast. These episodes have been remastered for better sound quality by Rob at Wrong Way Recording. When you need it done right, you choose Wrong Way. WrongWayRecording.com Initially imagined by me as a 10-part series, the Diabetes Pro Tip Series has grown to 26 episodes. These episodes now exist in your audio player between episode 1000 and episode 1025. They are also available online at DiabetesProTip.com and JuiceBoxPodcast.com. This series features myself and Jennifer Smith. Jenny is a CDE and a Type 1 for over 35 years. This series was my attempt to bring together the management ideas found within the podcast in a way that would make it digestible and revisitable. It has been so incredibly popular that these 26 episodes are responsible for well over a half of a million downloads within the Juicebox podcast. While you're listening, please remember that nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. This episode of the Juice Box Podcast is sponsored by Ascensia Diabetes, makers of the Contour Next Gen Blood Glucose Meter. And they have an amazing offer for you. Right now, at my link only, contournext.com forward slash juice box free meter, you can get an absolutely free Contour Next Gen starter kit. That's contournext.com forward slash juice box free meter. While supplies last, U.S. residents only. The Remastered Diabetes Pro Tip Series from the Juicebox Podcast is sponsored by Touched by Type 1. See all of the good work they're doing for people living with type 1 diabetes at touchedbytype1.org and on their Instagram and Facebook pages. This show is sponsored today by the glucagon that my daughter carries, Gvoke Hypopen. Find out more at gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juicebox. So let's start like this. I just put up like the 345th episode of the show, which is mind bending to me, honestly. What was the first first year first because you'd been blogging for a long time before. I blogged that. from 2007 consistently until 2015 when the podcast started and now I have to admit the blog's okay. a little more of a way of me sharing. I don't sit down and write from my heart as much as I used to because right. it's so much easier to do on the podcast yeah. uh, and you reach more people. But I blogged for that many years. The blog was strong. Okay. It was a million, yeah. million and a half clicks a year. One 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 block of maybe two or three years I got to like two million clicks, uh w- which was really big. Um but then I saw it kind of like trending away. And so in 2015, I started the podcast. Um, and I really thought it was going to be, I guess this isn't maybe a neat place to say this. Uh, I thought I was going to go back and read my most popular blog posts like into this microphone. Because right. That was my expectation for it. I was like, you know, some of these blog posts are really helpful to people. I'll read them and make them audio. I did that for 20 minutes one time, stopped, deleted the file and was like, this is stupid. You know, yeah. nobody cares about this. Um, and well, I can say there are some people that would care about that. I've actually got a couple of clients who really they love the podcast because they're they're audio, mm-hmm. and when they read things, it doesn't stick. 
And so they have to reread and reread. And finally, some of the adults that I've got are like, I just put the book down because right. they're like, I, I can't keep reading. I'm not retaining it. But if I hear it, it's there. It's yeah. in my brain. So no, I, I hear that. I, and I should, it just felt boring to me. Like I thought yeah. someone would like it, but I mean, if I'm being honest, I was trying to reach more people, not just, sure. you know, people who would literally be willing to listen to somebody read right. something dry. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, right. at least put some music behind it, but can you imagine how funny that would be if I was reading with music behind me? And I was like, this guy's talking about bad. boluses. It would be terrible. Yeah. Um, and then it picked up and picked up and, and like, you know, but for people who may be coming in late to it. After a number of years of the podcast, I started thinking there's like a real system here. Like I knew that while I was blogging, but when I could hear it, I thought, oh no, it's this piece and this piece and these, these four or five ideas. And when you bring them together, they're a five, five, a one C like you just do these things right. and that's what happens, you know? Um, and I, and I had had you on the show maybe twice mm-hmm. and I always wanted you to be back. I thought she's the best guest I've ever had. Like, I mean, Aww. honestly, you Thanks. when you when it comes to diabetes, you and I think exactly alike about it from two completely different perspectives, which is right. weird and interesting. It's nice. Right. Yeah. And, and it's nice. And so I was somewhere one day and I thought, I know what I'm gonna do. I'm going to take the tenants of the podcast and break them down with Jenny. If she wants to do this, I'm going to get a hold of her and see if she wants to do it. Um, and that was a weird leap for me because until then, my real belief was that if you just listen to all the episodes, you'd hear things come up very kind of organically and they would stick to your brain better because you heard them conversationally. And I was a little scared to do um, just specific bullet, topics. more bulleted specific topics. Yeah. But then I realized I could do it with you. Because we have a rapport. Like, I've talked to other people on the podcast, and I try to talk to them about stuff, and I find I'm stopping and starting, and like I'm like, oh, they're talking over me. I'm talking over them. I can't find a vibe, you know? Um, right. But I knew I had that with you. So I contacted you, and you were like, I'll do it. And at the time, I was like, it'll be like six or seven, Jenny. <laughs> <laughs> You've done and, more than that. And, and I sent you a little list, and you were really great. Like, you took the list, and you were like, I'd put them in this order. I think they make more sense in this order. And I was like, okay, great. And now I'm going to look. I'm actually going to diabetesprotip.com now because that little idea now has its own website, which is even strange. It's great. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 16. There are 17 pro tips. And this is going to be the 18th one. And then we're going to do Yay. pregnancy and, and we're going to keep going, right? Uh, and it spawned like defining diabetes, which I never thought was a thing that was needed until. This one person sent me a note that said, hey, I wanted to thank you because until I listened to the podcast, I didn't realize I was on MDI. They mm-hmm. took injections. I remember you told me that. Right, right? Yeah. and that made yeah. me think, wow, do some people really not understand some of the terms we're using? Let's define the terms for them. But simply, not an hour conversation. Right. Right, a little bit. Right. Anyway. Through the and co- also not a not a dictionary definition. I think, as I said, you know, before some people yeah. get things because they hear it in a different way or they read it in a different way. And I think the great thing about the podcast too, even with the pro tips part of it, is that it's broken down much more like layman's applicable. It's it's not what you get in a typical doctor education right. clinic. And we did it a couple of times and I was like, damn, this is good. It went so well mm-hmm. that I was like, give me your address, Jennifer. I am sending you a microphone. <laughs> <laughs> like, 
Like, yeah. Yes. So it sounds better now, <laughs> hopefully. Like, Let's go. And, but, but one of the things that we did was bump and nudge. It gets talked about in the episodes, but it doesn't have its own episode. And I always kind of thought that was okay until in the last year I looked at algorithm-based pumping and saw how my bumping and nudging was too much. It had gotten mm-hmm. out of hand and it didn't realize it because it was so easy for us to do that we never looked back at the root cause of why we were bumping and nudging. And so this has been bothering me for like six months now. And I said to Jenny, I need a pro tip episode on this because not that bumping and nudging is a bad idea. It's a terrific idea. Right. But you need to understand it more. It's a bigger topic than I thought it was. Mm-hmm. And I think you really, I think you really like realized it when you guys started using the do it yourself, right? As soon as day one came. We talked and I was like, how much are you using temp basils? Yes. How much are you adding little micro corrections or adjustments or whatnot through the day? And you're like, hmm. I don't know. I never thought about it before. A lot. So, so Jenny's the one who said it to me because we were trying to find, it was such an easy thing. Like you guys would hear me say before, like, I don't know Arden's insulin to carb ratio. Doesn't matter to me. I don't know what anything is. None of it matters, right? I know her basal rate and I know food. I look at food and I see food, but. Right. You're like, oh, that looks like five units. Oh, oh that looks like I got to split it up and give some now and a whole bunch later. And, right. Right. And, and <laughs> being flexible, which is terrific and important, what I didn't realize it was doing to me, you have to kind of like step back and look at a timeline of months, maybe that, that develop into years, is that at some point, you know, meal X took two units at this right. basal rate of whatever it was. And then... It took two and a half and three and three and a half and four, but it happened so slowly I didn't notice. I didn't right. realize that I was now bolusing six units for something I used to bolus four units for. I mean, I did, but I never stopped and thought, I wonder how much of this meal insulin is attacking the food and how much of it is staying in her system for hours afterwards and maybe acting as basal. Right. And so I had bumped so much with insulin that I lost track of what Arden's baseline need was. It didn't matter because we were doing so well, but it did matter. And I learned that when I when I said, I don't, this algorithm won't work. This is ridiculous. Her blood sugar is all over the place, right? It's just crazy. And it's because I had lost track of how much insulin we were actually using versus how much my setting said we were using. Did, that, did I say right. that clearly? How much was actually needed versus how much you were just intuitively correcting with, right? Right, right? Adding a little bit extra because you needed it, but not really realizing, hmm, in general, I'm always adding extra here. And yes. it probably is a setting issue. It's, and I shouldn't be adding this much more all the time. Right. And it had become such a way of life. Right. I didn't think of it anymore. So now I want to leave that thought here and we're going to come back to it later because I do think that, being fluid around diabetes is incredibly important and that you can't just keep resetting your basal rates every day for all the variables that are going to come up in your world. And I noticed a long time ago that that idea, that concept is what caused people problems, right? The idea of like, 
well, I'll go to my doctor and we'll find a basal rate. And oh, my doctor was great. They saw between 2 a.m. and 4 a.m. we had some highs. So we moved our basal up at 1 a.m. or 12.30 a.m. And it worked. But then they started getting low, you know, a couple weeks later. But I just fed the lows for two and a half months and went back to the doctor. And the doctor <laughs> moved the basal again. And that's how people... That was considered a successful use of your physician and your insulin, right? And it probably still is in many people's minds. I saw that and thought, this doesn't work. I don't want to be involved in this. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again. This podcast is a – it's partly in place because I don't like the math around diabetes. I don't like the waiting I don't like the, we'll wait and see. I don't, all that stuff makes me uncomfortable. Like all the things that you're supposed to do, I just was always like, oh, that seems wrong. Like, I don't, I don't want to do that. The Remastered Diabetes Pro Tip Series is sponsored by Ascensia Diabetes, makers of the Contour Next Gen Blood Glucose Meter. And they have a unique offer just for listeners of the Juice Box Podcast. If you're new to Contour, you can get a free Contour Next Gen Starter Kit by visiting this special link, contournext.com forward slash juice box free meter. When you use my link, you're going to get the same accurate meter that my daughter carries. Contournext.com forward slash juice box free meter. Head there right now and get yourself the starter kit. This free kit includes the Contour Next Gen Meter, 10 test strips, 10 lancets, a lancing device, control solution, and a carry case. But most importantly, it includes an incredibly accurate and easy-to-use blood glucose meter. This contour meter has a bright light for nighttime viewing, an easy-to-read screen. It fits well in your hand and features second-chance sampling, which can help you to avoid wasting strips. Every one of you has a blood glucose meter. You deserve an accurate one. Contournext.com forward slash juice box free meter to get your absolutely free contour next gen starter kit sent right to your door. When it's time to get more strips, you can use my link and save time and money buying your contour next products from the convenience of your home. It's completely possible that you will pay less out of pocket in cash for your contour strips than you're paying now through your insurance. Contournext.com forward slash juice box free meter. Go get yourself a free starter kit. While supplies last, U.S. residents only. Within it, I think you also have to say that the technology that we have available today makes it more user-friendly for people to learn how to make their own adjustments in the here and now. Um, That might work then for a while and then they make more adjustments. But, you know, years ago without technology, going to the doctor every three months, every six months, like I used to do when I was younger, that, that was the way to make adjustments. Now, could we have taken and done more data, more data analysis in between the doctor visits? We could have, and my mom actually did. She was like, this isn't working anymore. Let's just adjust here. Let's nope. You need some more insulin here. And I don't, I mean, I don't think she ever like, you know, said it like that, but her explanation was always like, well, this was just too high. And if it's going to be too high again tomorrow, then you're just going to use more insulin for the next meal. Right, right. Okay, mom, yeah. whatever. Hey, lady, you know? I'm with you. You're cooking, right? So it's right, good with me. Right, you seem to care. Right. So I'm going to go right. with you. Well, well, 
another issue in the space of people talking about diabetes in the past, it's kind of, it's a number of folds, but one of them is, is that nobody ever wants to say too much, right? They're always like worried that they'll say something and it won't apply to the third person that hears it. And I, I, so that was part of what the pro tips were for was to take information down to a point where, you know what, this really does apply to everyone, like not Mm -hmm. saying things that only worked for you or me or noticing that my daughter needed something different after she started getting her period than she did before. And taking the time to talk through those differences where writing about it is hard because you write something down, it's static. You know, I write a blog post around about my nine-year-old daughter somebody reads it, it now feels like a rule. I don't spend time. With my nine-year-old child, this is going to be the applicable method that I use. And you don't take time to philosophize out that I bet you this will be different when she's 15. You just, writing doesn't work that way, but you can conversate that way. And so a lot of people in the past who were impacting the diabetes space were parents of younger children who until your child gets older, you don't realize you think this is diabetes, but this is diabetes in a kid that's not, I don't know, like coursing with hormones or growing as much as you think or as active as you believe they are. Like, you know, like when you're eight, right. you're like, oh, my kid plays baseball. Like, yeah, okay, wait till your kid really plays baseball. Like, like right. wait, wait till they weigh 200 pounds and they're flying around. It's 110 degrees outside and they're throwing things through walls. Like it, it's an impact on your body. Wait till your kids playing ice hockey as a high schooler. Like, you know what I mean? Like, wait right. and they've got practice from six until eight in the morning and they've got practice again from, you know, right. four until eight, six o'clock at night. I mean, sometimes those practices, I'm amazed with the kids that I work with. Their parents are like, well, she's got tennis for, you know, from six o'clock until seven 30. And then she goes off to school and then she's got another practice from four <laughs> until six. And like, like seriously, I'm yeah. like, kind of like, she's a tennis pro or what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, that's how you make uh, a tennis pro. Um, one in a million times, the other 990,000 times is how you make a kid who hates tennis eventually. Right, <laughs> so, right, exactly. <laughs> but, but so these people were doing great stuff and they were talking about these these ideas, but they didn't realize how specific they were to the age group they were talking about. And, right. and I think that that's why this longer conversation and why I mentioned how long the podcast has been up has been important because in my heart, as crazy as it sounds, I think if you want to have great success with your type 1 diabetes, you go back to episode 1 and you listen through because you'll take a journey through somebody who's talking about a kid with a 9 or 10-year-old body that, you know, you actually can hear in this podcast, Arden get older, Arden grow, Arden have problems, her start to get her period, changing devices, meters, like all the way through. And, And I know it sounds crazy, but in, you know, 347 hours as of today, I think when it's over, you'll go, whew, okay. And then your kid's just going to have an A1C in the fives. It, like, or if you want it to be, or maybe you, you'll make an adjustment and it'll be in the sixes. Right. It'll also works for adults. And that was, that was really cool. I hadn't had that like greater expectation. I thought it would, but I didn't have a lot of, a lot of adults weren't reading me as a blogger. You know what I mean? Um, there were some, but there weren't a lot. Anyway, at some point, I recognized that well, that was really long winded, but I guess the people who listen, yeah. they're, I guess they're, they're used to that. They're used they to know. that at this point, but it's a very long way of saying 
that you can't just set your basal rates up, set up your insulin to carb ratios and go with that's what the pump told me and that's what the doctor told me to put in the pump. Right. Because things are going to change sometimes day to day, sometimes hour to hour, activity to activity. There are going to be too many variables and you can't stop every time. Like imagine if I had to get up tomorrow and go, today is going to be a sedentary day. I will now go fix all of my basal rates for sedentary and change my insulin to carb ratio for sedentary. By the way, do you realize that that could end up for some people meaning more and for some people meaning less? It could end up meaning less for basal and more for insulin to carb or vice, depending who you are and what you eat. And so when all that exists, what ends up happening to people is they just go, oh, today was a good day. Today was a bad day. Yeah. Right. They leave the settings and then they have good days and bad days. And what I thought was, if we stay fluid enough, you can almost be ahead of what's happening and make these right. adjustments. Okay. Right. All right. That's a long, long explanation. But to me, that's what led me to bumping and nudging. Now, for context, while Jenny and I are talking about it, I think of bumping as using insulin, bumping your blood sugar down. And I think of nudging as nudging your blood sugar up with carbs. Jenny thinks of it the exact opposite way. So... Don't get confused if one of us says one thing and one of us says the other. But in the end, the idea is to um, keep yourself between these smaller parameters, yes. right? A range, yeah. a smaller range. And the um, range is defined by you. Right. It right? doesn't matter to me what range you choose. Right. It's it's your chosen range, but the idea is to use food and, and insulin in a good advantage um, in both directions so that you can stay within that target. Right. And so some of the things I learned as I went I wish people could see us, by the holding way. Holding our hands Sometimes up. I, I was like, making air making... quotes around good and bad. <laughs> right. Probably just like, oh, my God. You keep saying that out loud, and someone's going to ask you to turn this into a YouTube thing, and then we're going to be on camera, and neither of us no. are going to be happy about that because you're going to have to hang up that stuff behind you, and I'm going to have to get a haircut. Right. So. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, is just like bags and, you oh. know, it's not random strangeness. It's like bags and like coats. That's it. Jenny on is, my door. Jenny is now apologizing for something you can't see. That's, that is very Midwest <laughs> of you, by the way. You're like, oh, it's it's not a clutter. We're, we're it's, it's nice it's, people. <laughs> it's a very important thing where the children hang their bags. <laughs> so. It is. The easiest for them to get to. <laughs> All right, Jenny, we're off topic now. Um, yes. So anyway, so I'm going to do a little thing here and please jump in whenever you want. In my mind, I take the, I guess I should first say that I understand this would be more difficult without a continuous glucose monitor. I really do. Um, yes. What I'm saying would be harder. Y you could do it. I still think you could do it. You'd have to do it a little less aggressively probably and you'd be testing more. But but what in my mind, what I see is that graph that goes along my daughter's Dexcom has a high line and a low line. And I take those lines from running, oh my God, which way is this? Is this parallel to the ground? Yeah. It is, right? I, Correct, Jesus, wow, yes. Yeah. I was asleep a lot in high school. None of you should be <laughs> listening to this podcast, just so you know. So I take those two lines that are spaced apart evenly that run parallel to the ground, and I flip them up on their end. So they're, so they're run vertical. So they're running vertical in my mind. And now they are a video game to me. They're like driving, right? There are, it's a football field. I, I don't want to run out of bounds on the left or, or on the right. 
That's all it is to me. There's in play and out of play. So when I describe it in like talks, I discuss that like driving is interesting because it's um you make a lot of imperceivable moves when you're driving that if you jerk the wheel around you swerve and you don't want to do that. So as you notice yourself approaching a, you know, the shoulder, you just turn the wheel back a tiny little bit and you come back into toe again, right? Like you're you're it comes back. Same thing with, you know, if you're going to cross into the other lane, you just come back a little bit. You don't jerk the wheel around because if you jerk the wheel around, you end up in the in the ditch or in the other lane where you end up with much higher or lower blood sugars than you mean. Right. So I bump myself back. I bump, you know, I nudge back. I, I use that insulin to help Arden stay in range. Um, the problem that comes with jerking the wheel is that once you're in the ditch, you have to overcorrect again. And then you're on the roller coaster, right? Now I've right. said roller coaster, which now takes the graph back to being, you know, the way it belongs in your mind for a second, not vertically, but you're up and you're down and you're just overcorrecting the whole way with food, with insulin, and you get the timing of the insulin so far off that some people, it doesn't stop. It goes, right. it goes into and overnight. And you just keep, keep going that way. Yeah. yeah. For, for, for not just for a day, for weeks and months and lifetimes of just that's what my blood sugar does. It bounces up and down. And people say that and it's heartbreaking to me. I'm like, no, just turn the wheel a little less. Like, right? Like, right. It's, it's, it's okay. I understand how it happens. And I think there are ways out of it. So I want to talk about mm -hmm. some functional ways out of it. Um, I guess people should understand the difference between a falling and a drifting blood sugar. So why don't you talk about that for a second? Yeah. Drifting is slow and dropping is fast. Right. I think that's the easiest way drifting down and, or even drifting up happens gradually over time. So again, if you're using a continuous monitor of any kind, you'll see this slow, continual change in blood sugar, little, little nudges kind of happening over the course of time. And since on all CGMs, each of those little dots on your graph represents about five minutes, each little drift up or down could be a change in glucose over a, a five-minute time period, right? Yeah. So drifting being slower means you have more time to implement a change right now that could also be a smaller change than having to make drastic adjustments with food or insulin. Right. When you're dropping or rapidly rising, kind of the opposite, that requires more, whether it's more insulin or more food, it requires more because the change is happening very quickly now. And usually I see drifts happening either with a horizontal arrow on your CGM, or you might get that slight angled arrow either down or up. That's, I consider those drifts. Yeah. I consider drops or rapid rises when you've got arrows pointing straight up or, or straight down. That's fast. Right. So you need to do something now. Right. <laughs> and so to start with lows, uh, if you're 75 straight down on a Dexcom, that could mean two or three points per minute. 
Is that right? So every five minute change, you could go, you could end up moving 50, up to 15 points or something like that. I don't hold me to that, but fast is the point. Correct. So yep. you, you don't like, you know, when you're, when you're 80 straight down, you don't say, Hey, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm going to do a temp basal off for a half an hour here. That's <laughs> nope. not going to work. And there's reasons nope. prior in the diabetes pro tip episodes, seriously, listen to them in order that will make sense to as why, but if you're just drifting down, one of those situations where it's noon and you're 100 and then it's 1215 and you're 95 and you just got this little drift happening, you could possibly be at the end of a bolus that ended up being a little too strong, right? And maybe there's, you know, an imperceivable amount of insulin left in there, a quarter of a unit, a half a unit, depending on your size. Maybe it's two units if you're an adult, right? And mm -hmm. if you take away your basal insulin right there, it's possible that you can trade that extra bolus that's left and create what I sometimes talk about as like a, a black hole of basal, right. right? So keeping in mind that everything you do with your insulin now is for later because insulin doesn't work immediately. Um, like what if at noon when you started to see that drift down, you took some basal away and that created a level. So now right. – the end of that too strong bolus was acting as your basal and your basal wasn't there. But keeping in mind, if you shut your basal off at noon, it's not going to probably start impacting you for until at least one o'clock. Yeah. Right. For a while. But at the same time, you were only drifting anyway. It was probably going to take you an hour Correct. to get from 100 to 60 where you'd then be drinking a juice. But instead, as you're hitting that 70 mark, you're all of a sudden into the time frame where there's no basal insulin and you just right. level out. Now, it doesn't always work. I've done it and thought I'm a genius and I've done it and thought, oh, I missed that. Like, But trial and error will teach you because there are a lot of different situations. And I think some some visual into that, too, as you said, you know, sometimes it works and sometimes it, it didn't quite hit the mark, but you weren't necessarily wrong mm -hmm. to take the basil away. I think especially, again, with the technology that we have today, not only can you see the drift, but if you are somebody who's using an insulin pump, you also have the visibility of insulin on board. Right. Right. So if you have an idea how much insulin is left, like you said, an earlier bolus, uh, maybe you were a little heavy handed in it, or it was just, you know, too much because you haven't quite figured out your ratios, or maybe it was, you know, a guesstimate completely or whatever it mm -hmm. was, you still have some insulin on board. If you have an idea of where your basal is right now, and you know how much insulin is on board, taking basal away could substitute for some of the IOB that's left. Yeah. Absolutely. And like you said, it could nicely smooth things out and you just drift into a stable blood sugar. That might work if you've got IOB of one and your basal rate at that point is like 0.8 or 0.9 or even one, 1.1. 1 .1. Right. That could absolutely smooth out. If you've got three units of IOB and your basal is at 0.5, not going to help. Taking a half unit away, it, yeah. it's going to help a little, but it, you're still going to ask. going to get the result. It. Right. Correct. I, I, so in my mind's eye, touched by type 1 has the back of people living with type 1 diabetes. Take, for instance, their D-Box program. Touched by type 1 knows firsthand the intricacies of living with type 1 diabetes. And so their team has created a D-Box, which is a starter kit that provides important resources and supportive materials to individuals with diabetes. They want you to thrive. The D-Box is completely free and available to newly diagnosed people. 
All you have to do is go to touchedbytype1.org, go to the Programs tab, and click on DBox. While you're there, check out all the other resources and programs available at touchedbytype1.org. Speaking of support, touchedbytype1.org is available in English and Spanish. Don't forget to find them on Facebook and Instagram, too. You do not want to miss what Touched by Type 1 is doing. When you have diabetes and use insulin, low blood sugar can happen when you don't expect it. Gvoke Hypopen is a ready-to-use glucagon option that can treat very low blood sugar in adults and kids with diabetes ages 2 and above. Find out more. Go to gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juicebox. Gvoke shouldn't be used in patients with pheochromocytoma or insulinoma. Visit gvokeglucagon.com slash risk. Years ago, I used to think of um, uh, scales. So think of like a, the scales of justice where each side has this big dish and you could, you know, pile gold or weight, you know, right? And so think of insulin on one side and carbs on the other or weight the weight of your blood sugar on the other and you can kind of imagine yourself throwing in a little on one dish and going oh that was too heavy and taking a little out and you know we're taking some out like that's how i think of insulin like put Mm -hmm. a little in take a little out um you know and then you know i say a lot on the podcast and that i think we talk too much just about how insulin impacts the number and there's so many other things to think about how food impacts insulin, right? Like, like you'll hear me tell a story about like creating a, a drop and then catching it with food. And right. to me, that's how the food impacts the insulin. And it's just, there's, it's a weird thing, but there's a lot of different ways to think about what's going on. That little game that's going on in your body between, you know, the sugar that's in your blood or that's going to be in your blood or the food that's going to put the sugar there and the insulin that's trying to take it out again. Right. Um, so anyway, you can bump with a temp basil, right? It just is like to take it away. Like Jenny and I have explained also the same goes for going up. If you see, um, you know, a 90 that turns into a 95, that turns into a hundred, it's going to be one of those slow drifts up. There's nothing worse than that. In my opinion, I always think of it as the, um, the mountain climber on the price is right that game because every time you're like, it's going to stop. There's no way that guy's falling off the end. They're going to figure this out. Like, and it's just totally he who, and it just goes on forever. Right. And then that little guy just plops off the end and then Drew Carey takes your money back from you and you're screwed and you walk away. Right. So like you see this 90 blood sugar that's drifting up two hours later, it's two fifty, and you think, right. I, oh, why didn't I How do did something? This? Yeah. You, like right. I should have done something, you know? Um, Maybe that's a temp basal increase. Maybe it's a bolus. But right. all all I know is that a 120 or one, you know, whatever, you, wherever you decide to be, diagonal up, can be brought back to a stable 90 with far less insulin than it will take to address the 250 two hours later. Correct. And when you're only using small bumps of insulin, you're very less likely to cause a low. And right. so when you see that 120, to me, that's you approaching, you know, the, the, the line on the side of the road and you just want to come back almost an imperceivable amount with the wheel or the tiniest bit of insulin to bring it back in line. Now, right. I have done this with my daughter for years with an amazing amount of success. And I've seen people 
scores of people who listen to this podcast do it too. Um, mm-hmm. And it it works. It, it really does. But the idea is that you're not always going to get your bolus right. You're not right. always going to have the right amount of basil going for your specific situation that's happening right then and there. Correct. Wow. I'm more clear think- when you're with me. <laughs> that's, weird. that's weird. Don't tell your husband that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think, you know, and two of you wanted, if you wanted to add some definition to like, people always ask, well, how much, how much, when I start to see this drift, how much should I add? Well, you know, one, again, everybody's physiology is a bit different, your sensitivity to insulin. So a 0.1 might be what works for you. A 0.7 might be what needs to be in you know, somebody else's case. But I think if you give definition to direction of blood sugar, again, using today's technology beneficially, and you mentioned before, kind of the directional arrows and what that indicates as far as a drift up or a drift down, and how much is happening. If you're wondering how much to add with insulin, when you do start to see a drift up, the angled arrow is really kind of a rate of change of about one to two points per minute, Mm -hmm. right? So if you're aiming to see, okay, I'm at 90, I'm not done anything. And now my blood sugar, it looks like it's starting to come up. I don't know why, but it's happening. If you you experience that a 90 with a angled arrow up one to two points per minute in the next 30 minutes, if you do nothing, your blood sugar could be 30 to 60 points higher. Right. Right. So if you use that to your advantage and you say, okay, I could be on the low end, 30 points higher, it could be one at 120. I kind of know what I would use to offset, you know, a 50 point rise in my blood sugar. Maybe I need to just add a little bit like 0.2, or maybe I need to take a 0.5 extra. You know, that's kind of a way that's a little bit more if you're the math person. Right may help you to get a little bit more precise and not worry about then ending up on the downdrift later. And, and if you were me, what you do is you try something and then the next time you try something different, if that didn't work, right. right. Less Which, or more. Yes. Just right. more or less, whatever, try. And it's important to remember that it's not, you're not going to get it right the first time. And even if you do get it right the first time, the variables may change the second time. It becomes an art. Like it really does. Yeah. Like just knowing how much to push just a little bit, like, you, you know, you squeeze too tight and it's too much, you, you're not enough and you let go and, and using Jenny's example right there and flipping it to getting lower, you don't always need the whole juice box. You don't always need every right. piece of candy in the package. The, the, sometimes you can nudge with food, right? And I know that 15 carbs, 15 minutes is the rule of thumb. But if you're using a CGM, you can see it better. You don't have to. 15 carbs, 15 minutes is when people are blind to what their blood sugar is, and they're trying to stop themselves from having a seizure. That's important. I'm not saying no, okay? And I'm not telling you not to do it. Um, But I'm telling you that if you do it and find yourself to be 300 later, you didn't need all 15 carbs, right? And by the way, if you do get into a panicky situation – and you've got to just hork in carbs. I'm not going to tell you to not do it. What I am going to tell you is that when you when the dust settles, you need to figure out how much insulin you've got to bolus for that food you just took. Correct. Right, right. Like maybe not for all of it, but some of it's going to need insulin. You have to stop 
the bouncing. You gotta make sure you can't get on that roller coaster. Like don't right. get on it. It's maddening. And the only way off of that roller coaster, by the way, in my opinion, is you stop taking in carbs and you get back to level again. Like, right. like I can listen. I can knock Arden off that roller coaster while she's still eating. But that is a ninja level event. Like, like you need to be really good at that to stop yeah. to stop a roller coaster in between food. And you'll get And it there. takes understanding sensitivity. Right. You very well know, and I'm sure Arden does as well. You guys know her sensitivity and you've paid enough attention to say, okay, we need this much right now because of all of these other variables in the picture, or right. you need this much less right now or whatnot. And you do get to that level when you start to pay enough attention, you know, to your personal sensitivity and the precision that you need. 100%. Um, I, I, I think, you know, the 15 and 15 is age old. I mean, that's what I started with 32 years ago mm -hmm. is 15 and 15. And we didn't have the visibility of blood sugar changes at that point. We didn't. Or even just a um, meter, by the way, that only takes a tiny drop of blood and right. isn't and, and this beautiful lance that, you know, it doesn't hurt that badly while you're doing it. You were right. stabbing yourself with a sword and dumping insulin into a or dumping your yes. blood into a we, box, you know, waiting we for kind it. Of <laughs> called it the guillotine. It was like this big old drum that like hammered down on your finger. And okay. like I would like I would like inch my finger like slightly away from like the little underneath platform from where it like jabbed my finger. I would like just hold it back. So it didn't quite jab it. That was my like adjustment to the Lancet depth, right? right? That was the only adjustment I had at that point. But I mean, a point being really that you have some tools now that allow you a lot more precision in how you bump and nudge. Yeah. You do. Use them. And with smart tools today too, and I think this is a good place to mention it, is with our with our smart hybrid closed loop systems that are on the market today, that adjustment with carb, the 15 and 15 is a hundred percent too much. A hundred percent too much. With most of these systems on the market today, when you're adding a little bit of carbohydrate, we're talking like a little bit of carb because the system has already been helping you mm -hmm. coming into this drop in blood sugar. So 15 grams, hundred percent is going to be way too much. Yeah. You might need two or three Skittles, which is like two or three grams of carb. You might need half of a glucose tablet. You might need a quarter of a juice, juice box. So, yeah. well, you know what? I want to go a little deeper into this, like faster rises and falls. You see people online every once in a while. It's very common, actually. Um, they're injecting, and they'll put in the measurement for their slow-acting insulin as fast-acting by mistake. Like, oh, I take, Oops. like, you'll see an adult, like, I take 20 units of Lantus every day, and I just gave myself 20 units of Novolog. And they're right. online, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And I'm just like, just figure out how many carbs that takes and eat them. Like, that right. makes sense to me, right? And, and give that a try. So say you do that, not that, but say you have a meal that really needed five units and for some reason you thought seven. And the next thing you know, 40 minutes later, there's an arrow down on your CGM. You're falling fast. You need to eat the carbs to stop that. So it's a much bigger right. nudge, right? It's more like a nudge with a sledgehammer now. And you need to eat the carbs to stop that. In the same thought process, if you miss greatly with that insulin, it should have been seven and you use five and 
30 minutes later, you're two arrows straight up. I don't mess around there. Like I am stopping those arrows. Right. And you think, well, okay. Say, I don't know. Say it was literally like a mistake. You meant to do seven and you did five. So you think, oh, okay. Two units. That two units isn't going to do it anymore because you have all this momentum, right? Like there's this momentum. You have to stop the momentum. You've got a higher number than you thought about when you decided on the insulin the first time. There's a lot to think about. There's the number, the momentum, and getting you back without making you low. There are times that I'll take what I think the amount is that's going to stop the arrows plus the amount that's going to change the number back to where I want it to be. And I realize if I give her this insulin right now, she's going to end up low later. Mm -hmm. But I still give it to her. And then there's a moment where I take the basil away. Away. Right? Right. To try to do what I mentioned earlier, eat up that extra. So I needed all that force from that insulin up front because of this situation we're in. But I don't need the tail of it later. But the tail's going to be there. So what right. if I took her basil away so that it wasn't basil plus the tail? Right. And so I get the benefit of the oomph up front without the kick in the pants Back of end. what comes later, right? Right. right. Um, that's another way to think of bumping and nudging, in, in, mm-hmm. in my opinion. So um, there's a and lot And it takes here. learning the tools. It takes learning the tools to use, you know, things like – um, people who are using MDI or multiple daily injections, it it becomes harder because you can't take basil away. Yes. Once it's injected, it's there. So if you are heavy handed with a correction because you really want that double arrow to stop, you're going to be. You eating. have to be. You have to be ready on the back end with carbs to stop the right. drop. You, you want to? Do you want to know what a, a pump does that it, it, multiple MDI doesn't do? It uh, stops you from having to take a bunch of injections. It allows you to do temporary basal increases, decreases, extended boluses. Uh, that's it. And, you know, you, you don't have to carry pens with you and right. wonder if your insulin is getting warm while you're at the water park. Like, like that's, that's, that's it. I mean, I think to me, it sounds like a very little bit, but it's a lot if you're mm-hmm. going to be reactive like this and stay flexible and, and things like that. Um, I'm not right. saying you can't do it with injections. I know plenty of people who do. Yeah. They very commonly are adults or, you know, kids who just don't care about the injections because there's going to be a moment when you're going to put in a little insulin and realize it's not enough and have to put in a little more. And now that's two needles, you know, instead of two pushes of a button. Um, yeah. I think that or certain kinds of food, which we've talked about in other episodes, needing right. a pump to cover differently over a longer period of time with a with an injection. You can't do that unless you're willing to just take more injections with more insulin. So now here's the next thing about bumping and nudging. You get what you expect a little bit. And and I want to just, before I tell you about that, I want to tell you that what Jenny just said shouldn't have been glossed over. There's other parts to this. I'm talking about bumping and nudging within a fairly perfect system, meaning I have my daughter's basil well in hand. I'm not that far off with her meal boluses if I if miss. Like right. we're not just like running around with our hair on fire going like ah you know like it was, and, and I do just bu- here, feed here, <laughs> give more here, yes, take it that away. That would be insane. I, and I do mean this without sounding like I'm trying to pimp the 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 content. If you go back and start at the beginning of the pro tips 
or if you want to power listen. To, by the way, those of you who start at the beginning of the podcast and listen right through, you have my respect. I, I thank you very much um, because it's why the downloads are so good and I, it really helps me. So thank you very much. But at least go back to the pro tips and listen through because then you'll get to a point where bumping and nudging really is a good tool. But, but it doesn't happen not 100% of the time. It's not always going to work. Right, right. Like there are going to be times where it doesn't work. And it happened to me last night with Chinese food. So we came out of a pump change and went right into Chinese food, which just shows my arrogance, really. Because I was like, this won't be a problem. Uh, but what I didn't take into account is that for the past 72 hours, Arden has just needed more insulin. Like there are foods that don't make Arden spike that are making her spike for the last three days. I don't know why. It's not important why. It's just happening. You know, like like soup. She's having like a clam chowder out of a can and I can't get her under like 250 like 45 minutes later. Like I'm like, what's happening? You know, um, and it'll go away because the day before this started, her blood sugar was like 85 for 17 hours in a row. So, you know, it, it'll... It'll cycle through. We'll figure it out. Maybe it'll end up being uh, a variable that needs adjusting. I don't think it will be, but I'll see. But that's not the point. The point is we came from a pod change right into Chinese food. And boy, Good luck with that. I did not do well with that. And so I want to first tell you that when I say, oh, my God, I did not do well with that. What I mean is her blood sugar was between like 175 and 210 for a number of hours afterwards. I know you're thinking, shut up. I would love that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. People, right? people yeah. are like, really? That's your complaint. It's not a complaint. It's just, I missed. Right. Right. And there was a time five hours, honestly, where she needed, I, I bolused a bunch of times and I never once got it right. I was never strong enough with it. Um, and I have to admit it was because I was tired and I didn't want to be up all night. So I just, I, aired a little on the side of caution, not a lot. And, um, and I kept pushing. So, but I did not cause her to get low afterwards, which was, which a, is a win. A, it felt like that to me. And I'll tell you yeah. why. And I want to put this in this episode too. So very recently I wore the Dexcom pro continuous glucose monitor. And I, um, was very happy to find out that I am Apparently not pre-diabetic. As I was texting Jenny, as I was putting, I'm like, you know, this. I'm going to find out I have type two diabetes, right? Like, I'm like, you know, <laughs> uh, I was very happy that I didn't. Um, obviously, it, I was grateful, but I got to see what a pancreas does when it's doing what it's supposed to do. And I have to tell you that there is nothing I ate, no matter how low glycemic or high glycemic, that got my blood sugar over. I mean, I told Jenna I had to eat two pieces of cake to get my blood sugar to like 135, 140 one time, right? Right. But as I look back over the day, my standard deviation was like 11. You know, my my average blood sugar was, I don't know, like 90 or 80 or something, 85 or 90, right? But I still went up a little gracefully, 120 most of the time, back down again. You know, that happened when I ate. And I had already changed my mind about my expectations for Arden um, over the last couple of years. And you guys have heard me loosen up on the idea of like stopping every spike. Like, like I don't, I'm not a flatline person. I don't feel like my daughter's blood sugar needs to be a flatline. I do believe that she has type one diabetes and that letting a flatline get away from you turns into a disaster that takes way too long to fix, which is why right. all this is important. But 
I don't care if she eats and her blood sugar goes up to 120, 130 and comes back down again. I think that's fine as long as she's not low on the other side. I start getting a little hinky over 140 in my heart. I'm a little like, eh, that's too much. You, you, you know, um, and it's not to say I wouldn't try to stop a 120 if I thought I had the answer to it. Um, but I don't know. It just it seems important for me to tell you that if your pancreas is working, your blood sugar is not always 85. It you know it it just isn't so be a little easy on yourself have good expectations but understand that my daughter you your kid Jenny you don't have the mechanism to just it isn't just going to put the brakes on for you so that's why you can't you know I I say you, you never get high if you don't get high that's sort of what I mean by that like stop the arrows stop it before it starts right. Um, well, into this kind of uh, experience that you had too, I think one of the funny texts that, that I got Sorry. from you was relative to prebolus. Yeah, I was right? like, I find you, you myself wanting to prebolus. Like, I prebolus better than my own pancreas preboluses. <laughs> I think is what your text was because you had seen a difference in what you had done for the same meal for Arden with her prebolus yes. versus what your own pancreas was doing. And I think you said something like, I wish I could get my pancreas to prebolus. And I was like, well, your pancreas kind of does actually do that. The the working pancreas body kind of does do this like prebolus bolus right. sort of thing, right? So Jenny's tried to explain to me, I got it, if this is true, she said that sometimes when you smell food or you get hungry, your body anticipates that your blood sugar is going to go up and, and gets a little working on things prior. Correct. That's really Correct. cool. But what she's pointing out, and I am a little embarrassed, is that after a couple of days, I would look at, like, I'd be cooking, and I would think to myself, like, I'd be rubbing my stomach wherever I thought my pancreas was. You know, I don't even know. And so I was just like, man, now, do it now, brother. We're about to have pasta. Like, go, you know? Um, But no, Jenny's not wrong, and I'm not bragging. I was better at stopping spikes with Arden than my body was for me. And I was really like comforted by that. You know, I was like, wow, mm-hmm. this this bullshit on that podcast really works. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and I was I was just really I was really thrilled, you know. I was like, wow, I, I because it felt like it wasn't overkill. Do you know what I mean by that? Like I thought, oh, I'm right. not taking this too seriously. I'm taking this the no. right amount of serious. Right. And it, it just really was it was a it was a great experience. I want to thank Dexcom for letting me wear the pro. Um, and, uh, it was really nice. I was the only that that was only worn by, um, national media outlet people and mm-hmm. me. And I was very grateful and I really appreciate the Dexcom appreciates the podcast, um, and sees it as, uh, uh, what it is. Benefit. Yeah. Not, yeah. not, not, I'm just not a guy with a podcast. Like I, I was like, wow, they really like, I don't know it made me feel good. Anyway. Um, point is, the last point, I guess, of all this is, is that bumping and nudging is terrific. It's great while you're learning things, uh, while you're learning about how to bolus for meals, while you're learning about activities, you know, all that stuff's great, but it's not a long-term everyday solution. And Correct. I didn't recognize that people wouldn't translate out of it eventually like just go like oh okay i'm it didn't happen to me you know i said it at the beginning i didn't realize it wasn't happening to me and then finally and again i have to thank the people listening because we started the private facebook group 
which I'm not particularly active in, but see every day, I started watching. And this is when I said to Jenny, I need a pro tip on pumping and nudging. I was like, oh my God, these people are doing this all the time, like constantly. Mm-hmm. I'm like, it's not for constantly. And so here we are. Um, so if you heard us do defining diabetes bump and nudge, which literally just came out last week, um, I said in there, what I didn't realize about bumping and nudging when I started doing it was that it's as much of a diagnostic tool as it is, you know, a tool for keeping your blood sugars in order. Correct. So Jenny, when you start seeing yourself bumping and nudging too much, what should you be doing? Then you should be going back personally, what I do and with the people that I work with, what I do in the, in data analysis is I look at a cumulative and I say, over the course of this time, whether it's a week or three days or two months or whatever we want to look at together, we can say, well, goodness, we've had a lot more use of temp basils that are not specific to like activity reason or a food-based reason, like you always eat Friday night pizza or whatever it is, and you need that kind of a tool for, but goodness, we're having, there's a lot of corrections happening after meals all the time, or there's a lot of, you know, you're using temp basils to cut off insulin all the time. If that's happening, and while it might be proving to give you the results that you want, there's a bigger picture there saying there's either not enough insulin for some reason now, so we need more in the basal or we need to add a change to your ratios so that you do get more a robust type of bolus for food and then you shouldn't have to follow it so heavily after and adjust with extra insulin all the time. So that becomes looking at information and saying, hmm, for whatever reason, I just need more basil now. Let's pop it into place. For whatever reason, my ratios look like they're not covering well or they're covering too much. Let's take some away. Let's add some in and let's make sure that I'm not bumping and nudging now 100% of the day because that shouldn't be the case. Right, right. You shouldn't have to work that hard, essentially. Yeah. One of the, I think one of the benefits of the podcast is that it eventually should make the management of diabetes simpler and less impactful on your, your moment to moment. You shouldn't constantly be like, okay, a little more, a little less, a little more like that's, you know, algorithms do that, but you shouldn't have to do that. Right. If you find yourself doing it, look back and, and just try to separate a variable from a constant and, and address the constants and keep bumping the variables. That's, that's all it gets that easy. I took me a while to figure it out. And that's why I'm here saying it to you because I thought, oh gosh, what if people don't figure it out? Like I I started having this horror in my head that people would just be like bumping blood sugars for the rest of their lives. Right. I'm going to be following my child until they're 50 and I'll be 89 and, uh, you know, (laughs) what's happening to their blood sugar? Picture people in my head that haven't seen the sun in three years with their hair all wired like they've been electrocuted (laughs) and they're like, my kid's kid's A1C is 5.5. Their blood sugar hasn't gone over 110 in six years. I'm fine. Like, you know, (laughs) please don't be like that. (laughs) Please. Uh, Oh my God, that would break my heart if that's what's happening to you. And don't get me wrong, by the way, in the beginning, while you're starting to figure it out, you may be a little white. That is white what it back. feels like. Yeah. Yes. That is what it feels you like. You should be able to get past that. Um, right. And I hope this has been helpful. Did we miss anything, Jenny? Because you guys don't, you really, everyone listening should should just take a second to realize that Jenny and I don't have any notes in front of us. Like we're not working no. off a list. And I no. still think we got 
in the time frame through everything I wanted to say. Do you feel like yes, that? Absolutely. Jeez. We did a good Somebody job. Somebody should ring a bell or I'm going to spike a football. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. That's right. <laughs> I, I want to say this is something I was going to say later when I was editing it together, but I want to say it with Jenny here instead. I appreciate that the people listening care about this. Like I really do. Like I, I think it's wonderful that you all want better or easier or simpler and aren't just throwing up your hands and saying, I don't know, there's good days and there's bad days. Um, right. I, I think it's really wonderful. I think that we're um, creating a feeling throughout the diabetes world that's going to help people in the future. It might not help you right. as much as it's going to help someone else, but I got, you know, it's funny. I, it's not a note, but somebody posted this on social media the other day, and I'm not going to put their comments in the, their name into it, but I want to tell you like how amazing I thought this was. This person is relaying that their child, a 13-year-old who's only been diagnosed for four weeks, listens to the podcast with their parents, went into the doctor four weeks later, advocated uh-huh. for themselves for a pump, explained wow. explained that she wanted to use extended boluses. She tried it with MDI, showed her doctor how she tried it, explained that she wants to do temp basal adjustments in the anticipation of exercise and activity and started rattling off everything she learned from the pro tip episodes Wow! and, and even rolled in with her Omnipod demo that she got <laughs> through the podcast and persuaded the endo to approve the pump at the next appointment. And that that's en- awesome. And that endo normally makes you wake six months and that's from these episodes. And yeah. so I imagine not just the happiness for that child that's coming, but that maybe now the doctor's like, huh, why am I waiting? You know what I mean? Right. Why am I making people wait? Couldn't I just do this with them? Right. That, that's exciting for me. And it's so it's everyone's desire to do better. And then your willingness to say it when you get to the doctor's office. It's, it's Well, and maybe you know, even from that doctor's perspective, maybe, you know, this person obviously went in and said, hey, I've learned all of this from this one place. Maybe the doctor now has a reference to say, hey, you know, if you want a little bit more and you come back to me knowledgeable enough and can say, hey, this is what I know now, this is what I want to be able to use, why I want to be able to use it. Again, I think a lot of clinicians are just conservative because they're, they're worried, yeah. right? They're, they're conservative for many reasons, but I think worry is a big one. And they want some outcomes showing, yes, my patient is now ready for this. Yeah. And unfortunately, I think, again, with the technology we have today, I think people are more ready earlier mm-hmm. <laughs> than they may have been years ago. Um, so, And yeah. I don't think that I don't think that people should make the mistake that this is some special girl. Do you know what no. I mean? Like she seriously, it's, it's, it sounds self-aggrandizing. I really don't mean it to be. She just listened to these 17 or 18 pro tip episodes and right. in four weeks, look where she is. And, and I don't know that everybody could be, but I think my experiences are that a lot of people are. And so that it's possible. I'm in my right. heart. I hope right now that doctor is listening to this going, well, that sounds like something that happened. Like, I hope he went and was like, I wonder what that kid listened to. You, right. you know, right. like, like that's what I want. I want everybody to be healthier and easier and, and less encumbered and anxious and all the crap that comes with having diabetes. So Jenny, I, I wanted you to hear that. Thank you. Yeah, no. And I think that's a good 
cumulative of kind of, I mean, my overall, when I had set out going to college, knowing what I wanted to go to school for and eventually what I wanted to become, just, it was a very, it was a very like general, I want to become a diabetes educator because I had had really awesome educators as a kid myself. Mm -hmm. But I never, like, I didn't have a broad like idea of what I really wanted. I just wanted, I knew I wanted to be able to share what I knew with people and I wanted it to make a difference. Like it made a difference for me when I was younger, you know, and didn't have the technology or anything that we have today. Right. So, you know, in what I get to do every day, that's, I, I love it. But what I like more is that I love this connection that I've, that I've had because of you, because of the podcast and the, and what you've put together. Um, I feel like I reached so many more people than just the individual people that I get to work with Mm -hmm. every day. You know, I feel like kind of, especially these pro tips, what we've put together, it's just able to reach so many more people in a way that's it's free. Yeah. It, you know, no, it's know. great. And I'm, thank you. I, you made me, I felt like little butterflies and I looked Aww. away, from, I looked away from Jenny while she was talking. I got embarrassed. <laughs> I'm now embarrassed that I couldn't keep looking at her through a video screen while she was saying something nice. I need therapy. Uh, anyway, um, Thank you. I, I, it's, yeah. it really is terrific. It would obviously not be the same without you. So I really appreciate it. Oh, well, cool. All right. Okay. Well, we Yay. did a good job here. I'm going to let awesome. you go back to your life, which is probably just talking to somebody else about diabetes in a second. <laughs> Actually, it will be. My husband went off to work and my, my kids are, um, hanging out watching. The <laughs> they're, they're watching. I think they're watching Dino Dan right now. And I could hear my little man, um, outside the door. He's like, Mommy, I want a snack. I'm like, okay, Mommy, I'll be there in a minute. You're doing important work. Go back to what you're doing. All right. We'll go take care of him and thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Have a great weekend. You too. Bye. Thanks. I want to thank Ascensia Diabetes for sponsoring the Remastered Diabetes Pro Tip Series. Don't forget, you can get a free Contour Next Gen Starter Kit at contournext.com forward slash juice box free meter while supplies last us residents only if you're enjoying the remastered episodes of the diabetes pro tip series from the juice box podcast you have touched by type one to thank touched by type one.org is a proud sponsor of the remastering of the diabetes pro tip series learn more about them at touched by type one.org a huge thank you to one of today's sponsors gvoke glucagon Find out more about Gvoke Hypopen at gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juice box. You spell that G-V-O-K-E-G-L-U-C-A-G-O-N dot com forward slash juice box. Jenny Smith holds a bachelor's degree in human nutrition and biology from the University of Wisconsin. She is a registered and licensed dietitian, a certified diabetes educator and a certified trainer on most makes and models of insulin pumps and continuous glucose monitoring systems. She's also had type 1 diabetes for over 35 years, and she works at integrateddiabetes.com. If you're interested in hiring Jenny, you can learn more about her at that link. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Now, listen, there's 26 episodes in this series. You might not know what each of them are. I'm going to tell you now. Episode 1000 is called Newly Diagnosed or Starting Over. Episode 1001, all about MDI. 1002, all about insulin. 
1003 is called Pre-Bolus. Episode 1004, Temp Basal, 1005, Insulin Pumping, 1006, Mastering a CGM, 1007, Bump and Nudge, 1008, The Perfect Bolus, 1009, Variables, 1010, Setting Basal Insulin, 1011, Exercise, 1012, Fat and Protein, 1013, Insulin Injury and Surgery, 1014, Glucagon, and low BGs. In episode 1015, Jenny and I talk about emergency room protocols. In 1016, long-term health. 1017, bump and nudge, part two. In episode 1018, pregnancy. 1019, explaining type one. 1020, glycemic index and load. 1021, postpartum. 1022, weight loss. 1023, honeymoon. 1,024, female hormones, and in episode 1,025, we talk about transitioning from MDI to pumping. Before I go, I'd like to share two reviews with you of the Diabetes Pro Tip series, one from an adult and one from a caregiver. I learned so much from the Pro Tip series when our son was diagnosed last summer. It really helped get me through those first few very tough weeks. It wasn't just your explanations of how it all works, which were way better than anything our diabetes educator told us but something about the way you and Jenny presented everything, even the scary stuff, that reassured me that we could figure out how to deal with this and to teach our son how to deal with it too. Thank you for sharing your knowledge and experience with us. This podcast is a game changer. 25 years as a type 1 diabetic, and only now am I learning some of the basics. Scott brings useful information and presents it in digestible ways. Learning that pre-bolus doesn't just mean bolus before you eat, but means timing your insulin so that it is active as the carbs become active, took me already from a decent 6.5A1C down to a 5.6 in the past eight months. I've never met Scott, but after listening to hundreds of episodes and joining him in his Facebook group, I consider him a friend. Listening to this podcast and applying it has been the best thing I have done for my health since diagnosis. I genuinely hope that the Diabetes Pro Tip series is valuable for you and your family. If it is, find me in the private Facebook group and say hello. If you're enjoying the Juicebox podcast, please share it with a friend, a neighbor, your physician, or someone else who you know that might also benefit from the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back very soon with another episode of the Juicebox podcast.